you doing? Uh, welcome to another uh, Fides Heart and Soul podcast. I am welcomed today by uh, Dr. Dan Garland, who will pre- be talking to us about the Eucharist and the importance of it in our faith. Um, so welcome, Dr. Dan Garland. How are you? Good, good. Thanks for having me. Great. And do you want to introduce yourself a little bit just to let people know who you are um, and what do you do? Sure. Uh, my name is Dr. Daniel Garland. Um, I am the Director of Religious Education for the Catholic Schools of the Diocese of Charlotte. So, um, awesome. Yeah, so part of my main um, task is to uh, be a resource for the teachers and provide ongoing education of the faith for them. Nice. And you just started this job. I did, recently, back, right? in, back in July. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. well. Welcome to the diocese. <laughs> Thank you. Well, uh, I've been here. Yeah, you've been uh, here for a while. <laughs> I taught at Charlotte Catholic for two years right. uh, before that. Right. Yeah. And uh, you're also studying to be a deacon, correct? I am, yes, for the Ukrainian Catholic uh, Church. Um, so I'm about a little over a year in my formation. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. And just so everyone knows, we will be talking about the Eastern Catholic Churches at some point. Um whether that's in this podcast or a different one, but um, that way we can become familiar with the different parts of the church. Um, but welcome. Thank and, you. Thank you. Uh, so yeah, we'll just get started here and just start talking about the Eucharist and what it is. Great. Uh, mainly. So I guess the main thing to ask right away is, what is the Catholic belief about the Eucharist? Um, it obviously is the center of our faith, mm-hmm. um, but obviously today uh, the Eucharist is very confused. People are leaving the church um, because they don't understand what the Eucharist is. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a big crisis in the church of not understanding what the Eucharist is. There so is. can you explain yeah. a little bit about what the Catholics actually believe about the Eucharist? Yeah, so we believe what our Lord uh, himself told us, that the Eucharist is his body and blood, mm-hmm. right? It's his body, blood, soul, and divinity uh, given to us, in a right? It, it's, it's the unbloody... Um, representation of the cross. So, uh, on the cross, Christ died this bloody sacrificial death, and, uh, he anticipates at the Last Supper, um, saying, this body, or this bread, which is broken for you, right? Uh, this is my body, right? Um, this is the chalice of my blood of the new and everlasting covenant, which was shed for you and for many. Um, that there, that separation of the body and the blood, right? When you, whenever you, the blood separates mm-hmm. from the body, you have a death there, right? And the way that Christ, um, institutes the Last Supper, we see it's a sacrificial death, right? And so it's a foretaste. It's a for, um, not shadowing, but it's, 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 kind of anticipatory of the cross. So it begins at the Last Supper, the sacrifice ends at the cross, mm-hmm. right? But how are we going to partake of that sacrifice? In John 6, Jesus said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you, right? Well, right. we're 2,000 years removed, so how, <laughs> how are we going to do that, Lord? Um, well, he, he makes that one sacrifice of the cross present in an unbloody manner on every mm-hmm. altar, Right of, of the Catholic Church, so the Eucharist is the body and blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Uh, Saint Ignatius of Antioch calls it the medicine of immortality. Hmm. Right? Why? Because again, Jesus said, "Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you." Right? So this right. is He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood. I will raise him up on the last day. Right? Mm-hmm. So this is our source for eternal life. This is our pledge for salvation. Right. Oh, yeah, that's a great answer. <laughs> a great start to um, understanding the Eucharist. Now, you do um, mention, I mean, right away, you said, like, it is the body, blood, soul, yes. divinity of Jesus Christ. Um, but 
for someone who is either, you know, has been away from the faith for a while or it's just learning about the Catholic faith. When you say, like, this is the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ, but when I come to Mass or when I come to adoration, I'm looking at a piece of bread. Yeah. Like, so can you explain a little bit, like, why does it keep the appearance of bread, mm -hmm. tastes like bread, feels like bread, um, but you're claiming it to be the body and blood of Jesus Christ? Yeah. In a literal way. You're not saying that it's... Uh, a symbol. No, anything. it's not a symbol. Um, you're saying that it actually is the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Yes. Can you explain how that works? Sure. Yeah. And, you know, us being rational beings, how can we make sense of this yeah. in some way? Obviously, it's a mystery in some way, but how can we make sense of this, sense of this in some way? Okay. Yeah, sure. Great question. Um, so we have to, we have to think about it, um, in, in terms of, uh, metaphysical terms, right? Metaphysics, um, from Aristotle's work where he divides being into substance and accidents, mm -hmm. right? So substance is, right? What, what we are, what we're made of, but I don't see your substance. Mm -hmm. What I see is your accidental properties. Right, your your uh, well, less here. I, I should talk. Less, I should yeah, talk. Your beard, than I your do. beard, <laughs> right? Your height, your your girth, all that. Um, all those are your accidental properties, right? If I shaved my beard, contrary contrary to popular opinion, I would still be me, right? The substance of me, Doctor Garland, would still be here. But if I shave my beard. Right. That's that's my beard is an accidental property of mm -hmm. me, my eye color. So right, all that. Um, so we don't see substances. We see accidents, accidental properties which exist in the substance. Right. So substance exists of its own. Right. Mm -hmm. Substantia, that which stands under um, accidents. It's. It's their nature to exist in something else, right? Okay. So normally, now let's say this, mm -hmm. normally accidents don't exist by themselves. They mm -hmm. always have a substance that they're existing in. Now, when we come to the Eucharist, right, we see, we see bread, we see wine, we taste bread, we feel bread, right, mm -hmm. and wine and so forth. Um, we're tasting the accidental properties of what is no longer there. Mm -hmm. Right. So this is uh, St. St. Thomas okay. Aquinas says the accidental properties remain sine subjecto, right? Without a substance, without a subject. Mm -hmm. um, why? Because we say that when Christ says these words and it's Christ who says them through the priest, this is my body. This is my blood. Right. Mm -hmm. Christ, who is God, the very God who speaks things into existence, speaks this bread into his body, right? So there is a change of substance, hmm. right? So this is where we get the word transubstantiation, right? right? Transubstantiation is a change of substance. So the substance of bread that was there before these words of consecration, right, is no longer there. There's a, it changes, the bread changes into the substance of Christ's body. Mm -hmm. But what do we see? We see the accidental properties of the bread remaining. Now, why, right? St. Th Thomas Aquinas says for two main reasons. One, because of faith, right? Huh, okay. God wants us to have faith, that we, we have faith in his words, that when Christ says, this is my body, because Christ says it, I believe it. Hmm. Yes, Lord, I believe this is your body. And 
Aquinas then says the other reason is a very practical reason <laughs> because of humanity's weakness. Right. If if I see a priest holding up there this bread and says this is my body, and it changes into flesh in his hands, right? right. Um, and and the wine, this is my blood, right? And it changes into blood, right? Mm-hmm. Um, are you going to go up and receive it? Right when right, <laughs> no. the body of Christ, right? Are you gonna, right? Lord? I don't know. It's kind of yeah. It's the hard teaching to accept, yeah, which is why it caused scandal in John six. Right? right, the Jews were like, "I'm not so sure about that." Um, right, right. And his disciples fell away. Right? right, and he goes to Peter and says, "Will you also fall away?" And what does Peter say, Lord? To whom else are we to go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Right. Right? So, Peter Peter is, is like many of us. We don't understand. Like, I see bread. But, Lord, you've said this, so mm-hmm. I accept it. Right? right? Now, we have had instances where the priest has said, this is my body, and in his hand, it does turn to flesh. Right? right? The accidental properties of flesh appear. Right, mm-hmm. when, which normally doesn't happen. So this is a miracle. This is a, a Eucharistic miracle, right? right. We have Lanciano, um, I believe in the 800s, uh, late 800s, if, if my dating is correct. I, <laughs> I forget exactly when that was, right? We have the Argentinian miracle right. that happened in was it 96, yeah. I believe. Um, so throughout history, we have all these Eucharistic miracles where what scripture tells us what jesus tells us is going on we can see for our eyes right now miracles are for those who are weak in faith we shouldn't Mm -hmm. demand miracles of our lord we should have that faith that when we hear the words of christ through the priest saying this is my body right even though i see bread i know that that is the body of christ right right now Aquinas says, right, the very act of the Eucharist, of course, is a miracle, too, because, mm-hmm. again, the accidental properties of bread and wine remain there without a substance to, to be in, their natural substance, because mm-hmm. the substance of bread is no longer there. Aquinas says that's a miracle, and it is, right, because right. they're upheld without a subject. Right. Right. Yeah. No, and it, I mean, it is truly a, a miracle and a mystery. Um, we don't know exactly how it happens we just know it happens yes and we have to have faith that you know jesus words are true mm-hmm. that this is his body and this is his blood and unless you eat his flesh and drink his blood uh you will you won't inherit eternal life exactly. um so this is a very foundation of our faith um which is why the church calls it the source and summit of our faith um because it is um everything surrounds is surrounded by it um it is the new covenant, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a little bit. Yes. Uh, and, and one point I forgot to mention, right, when you said, what is the Eucharist, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the body and blood of Jesus Christ, his mm-hmm. soul and divinity as well. Mm-hmm. Why does he give it to us, right? Why is he giving us his flesh to eat, mm-hmm. right. right? Because in baptism, we become sons and daughters of God. We enter into the covenant family, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the Eucharist is that reforging. It's that strengthening, right? It's, it's as, as, um, uh, uh, Ignatius of Antioch says, it's the medicine of our immortality. When we receive the Eucharist, we are, right, strengthened in our sonship, right? So we enter into the family through baptism. We remain in the family through that, uh, uh, reception of the Eucharist. Right. 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 And I mean, <laughs> typical saying is you are what you eat exactly right so yeah. like when you receive christ you are um if you're in the state of grace you are going to start 
you know, forming yourself to become like Christ. And that's yes. our goal. Ultimately. And that's, that's deification, right. right? As they say in the West, in the East, it's theosis, right? It's becoming like the sun. It's become a sun in the sun, right? right. Um, Augustine has this great saying that Aquinas picks up in his commentary on John. And he says that, um, right, normally we eat food and we change that food into us. But this food is special because this food of the Eucharist, we don't change it into us, but it changes us into him, mm-hmm. into Christ, right? And so we become like Christ the more we eat it, right? right? And this is the Eucharistic indwelling, the mutual indwelling that John talks, or Jesus talks about in John, right? He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Right. right. Yeah. Awesome. And uh, as uh, you heard from Dr. Dan Garland, there has been several miracles uh, regarding the Eucharist. Um, and our next um, catechetical resource on uh, the Eucharist, there will be a section there that you can actually um, look at some of these miracles, see images, um, show some of the scientific um, findings behind those miracles, um, and read about them as well. So look forward to that. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Awesome. Blessed Carlos Acuti. Yeah. 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 Carlo Acuti. Yes. I actually put his website in yes. the catechetical resource uh, because there he has a list of all the um, different countries. All right. The world, yeah. um, there, there's even some in there that aren't, I don't, I think they're not approved by the Vatican yet, but mm-hmm. there's several in there that are approved by the Vatican as uh, real miracles. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but there's been tons of um, hundreds, hundreds. Yeah. Hundreds yeah. of um, different, um, accounts of the Eucharistic miracles. Yeah. So, um, I, so the, the challenge to those who don't believe, um, you, you have to reconcile, well, how, how does this happen? Right. Cause these right, are yeah. uh, scientists, um, right. There was one of the miracles. They were given uh, a piece of the flesh from, from the, uh, the host that turned mm-hmm. into flesh and gave it to a scientist. And the scientist was looking at it in the laboratory. He's like, this is still alive. Right. right. Yeah. This is still what what's going on. Like in, in order in order to have flesh that's still alive, like you have to, and it was from the heart, right? Right. Um, it was the heart tissue, and so like you'd have to have the guy in the next room cut a piece of his heart, run over there, and put it under the microscope. Right. And so the guy was shocked. The scientist was shocked. He said, well, "Where did you get this?" Right. And he's kind of scared at first. Right. And then he <laughs> told him, "Well, this is from a Eucharistic miracle." Right. Right. Yeah. And he could see. And this is done under supervision by the Vatican, right? It's yeah. Not like yeah. just randomly. Yeah. It wasn't it somebody, <laughs> somebody didn't just like grab a slice. Right. And, yeah. No. 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 Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I mean. Take a look at those. Um, uh, there's more information there, as Dr. Dan Garland has explained. Um, but uh, moving on to the next question I have. Um, so in the Catholic, the Catholic Church is very unique in its uh, presentation of what the Eucharist is. Um, but obviously, we live in the Bible Belt. Um, we live in an area where uh, Catholics are not the majority. Um, so we often hear, like when we go out with our friends um, who are different um denominations mm-hmm. um that you know the eucharist is a symbol yeah um so can you explain a little bit about what different um christians believe about the eucharist mm. and also explain like why they're wrong sure yeah well um so you have your your baptists um your evangelicals um your more calvinist persuasion mm-hmm. um of of protestants they hold that the eucharist is merely a symbol Right. That it's, it's just a symbol. Uh, when Jesus said, this is my body, he, he meant it metaphorically. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, why are they wrong? 
Well, because in in the Greek, when Jesus says this is, Esten is, it only carries a a literal meaning, mm-hmm. right? When Jesus says this is my body, he means it, right? Mm-hmm. He's giving his flesh and his blood to the apostles there at the Last Supper and to us when we come in the Eucharist. In right. John 6, Jesus says my flesh is real food, mm-hmm. right? He uses in the Greek, it's it there's there's no um uh, uh ambiguity there. Right. He is clear. This is my body, right? Mm-hmm. This flesh is true food. Mm-hmm. This blood, my blood is true drink. And this is why the Jews who are there, they, they, they're kind of startled. They say, this is a hard saying, right? And many of them leave because, mm-hmm. right? They, Jesus is, he wants us to drink his blood. Well, Leviticus says that we're forbidden to drink the blood of animals, right? And this right. process will bring this up. Well, Jesus couldn't be speaking literally there because he'd be going against Torah and Christ didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. Mm-hmm. So therefore, um, he wouldn't, uh, he wouldn't negate, he wouldn't go against Leviticus in this, uh, uh, prescription against drinking the blood of animals. But that's not what Jesus is doing. He's not giving us the blood of animals. Mm-hmm. He's giving us his own blood, that blood that is from the humanity of Christ that is united to mm-hmm. the word in the person of the second person of the Trinity, God himself. Mm-hmm. So we're not just having any old blood, any right. old flesh. We're having the flesh and blood of our Lord himself. And this is life-giving, right? In mm-hmm. Scripture says the life is in the blood, which is why you don't drink animal blood, because you don't want their life. Yeah. But we do want the life of God, mm-hmm. right? This is why God has made us, right? So that we can participate in his divine life. Right. And the way we do that, Christ tells us, is by eating his flesh and drinking his blood so that we can have his life flowing through us, right? right? In a very real way, we come in contact substantially with Christ's body and blood through the Eucharist, right? right? Um, so that's the more Calvinist persuasion. But mm-hmm. then you also have Luther, right? So mm-hmm. Lutheran persuasion is consubstantiality, right? So they do believe in the real presence, but they believe it's consubstantial with, right? With, mm-hmm. in, under, around mm-hmm. the body of Christ, right? Or the, the, the body of Christ is with, in, under, around the bread, right? So, um, the, the substance of the bread doesn't completely change. Christ's presence comes in there and it's with it around, right? Right. Um, so why is that wrong? Well, Christ didn't say, this is my body with the blood or with right. the bread. He said, this is my body. Simply, right. Right. Full stop. This is my body. Mm-hmm. Right. So if we take Christ at his word, when he says, this is my body, the whole substance of the bread is no longer the substance of bread. It's the substance of Christ's body. Right. Wholly and completely. Mm-hmm. Right now, it's it's surrounded by a veil, if you will, of the accidental properties of bread. Right again, right. to make it more palatable for us humans, mm-hmm. who would be repulsed if we saw uh, actual flesh, actual flesh and there, blood yeah. in our yeah. face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, and um, yeah, consubstantiation is such an interesting topic. Um, and can you maybe just give a, a quick? Um, I mean, you already explained it, but just to go a little bit further, 
um, of the difference between consubstantiation mm. and transubstantiation. Yeah, so Luther has this notion of the ubiquitous presence of Christ, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, on the occasion uh, that the Eucharist is celebrated, that ubiquitous presence of Christ comes in with the bread, mm-hmm. right? And so it's it's kind of a mixture with the bread and the body of Christ. Now, this is problematic because when we adore the host— well, then we're adoring, under Luther's uh, notion, we're adoring both flesh of Christ, body of Christ, and we're adoring bread. Right. Right? But we don't right. We don't yeah. adore that which is man-made. We adore God alone. Mm-hmm. Right? Now, transubstantiation, the whole substance of bread is changed into the whole substance. It's only the substance mm-hmm. of Christ, of his body, right? And so when we adore that, we adore God alone. We adore right. Christ and his substance. I think that's a good point to make that um, if the Eucharist is just a symbol, then every service, right, mm-hmm. we're adoring bread. Yeah. Uh, we're not adoring Christ. So the liturgy means really nothing. Yeah. We're worshiping bread. Flannery Connor has, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with this, she was at a dinner party and um, there was uh, a cleric there who was kind of, uh, say, less orthodox than Mm -hmm. he should have been. (laughs) Um, And he made this comment, oh, well, the Eucharist is just a symbol. And Flannery O'Connor, in her... um, her her style said, "Well, <laughs> Father, if it's just a symbol, then to hell with it. Right. Literally, to hell with it, because right. we shouldn't be worshiping and adoring that which is man-made. Right. right? If it's just a symbol, then it's bread, and you have no business worshiping it. Right. Right. But if it is the body of Christ, then I get down on my knees, on my face before it, mm-hmm. right before the mystery of God Himself. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and you know." Just to give a positive route to our Protestant brothers and sisters, um, their their strength is really evangelizing, uh, yeah. which is something we need to work on. Um, but um, as far as the mystery and the fullness of the truth, um, the Catholic Church really has that. Yeah. Um, well, and you know, it's it's they they evangelize right, and they call themselves Bible Christians, right. but we're the ones who are taking the Bible seriously. Right. We take Christ's words and scripture seriously. Right. We don't try to give it some uh, other (laughs) meaning. Secondary meaning that we make up. Because we're afraid. We're afraid, right? right? Well, well, Christ couldn't have done that. Well, for you to say that Christ couldn't have done that. Right. Right? Yeah. He said he did, and we believe it. Right. And then talking about scripture, too, can you explain a little bit about, I know, um, our Protestant brothers and sisters do hold that Bible is the sole authority of the church. Yes. we do too, but with additions to tradition um, mm-hmm. and, and divine revelation. Yeah. Um, so, could you explain a little bit um, to also help our brothers, uh, if there's any Protestant brothers and sisters watching, understand where in Scripture we can find um, the uh, source of the Eucharist? Yeah, yeah. So we, we already mentioned go- John six. I know that. Yeah. Um, we want to go back. Go back to the Old Testament. Yeah. So I did my <laughs> distinction of the Gospel of John, right? But it's not just John, right? So right. Yeah. We go back to the Old Testament. We see uh, in Genesis fourteen, we have this uh, mysterious figure come out after Abraham wins these battles uh, against these four kings who defeated five kings, and he gets his nephew Lot back, mm-hmm. and out comes this guy named Melchizedek. Mm-hmm. King of righteousness, King of Salem, who offers a sacrifice of bread and wine, mm-hmm. right? And Abraham gives him tithes, 
right? So this this Melchizedek, he is the king of Salem, but he's also priest of God Most High, mm-hmm. right? Um, so there you have this priest king in Salem. Salem, later on we see in Scripture, Salem is Jerusalem, right? Yeah. right? So who is the other priest king that we have reigning in Jerusalem? David. David, when he brings the Ark of the Covenant in 2 Samuel 6 uh, up to Jerusalem after right, he, he conquers Jerusalem and makes it his, uh, the, the seat of his kingdom, he brings the Ark of the Covenant up and we see him dancing uh, before the Ark. We see him blessing the people, uh, offering sacrifices, right? And he gives meat and he gives wine, right? Now, mm-hmm. in, the, um, in the Hebrew... Um, it's kind of, it's a tricky, uh, uh, word. There is some people, there's much debate over it, mm-hmm. but, uh, the casks of wine is most likely what he's offering there. Okay. So he's giving, he's giving meat and our bread and meat and wine, mm-hmm. right? Um, so we see David is, in that line, right, uh, we see Psalm 2, or Psalm 110, you are a priest forever after the, uh, uh, the priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek, right. right? So David is in that line, right? He's not a Levite, so he's not one of the Levitical priests, but mm-hmm. he's in the special priesthood after the order of Melchizedek, right? right? Priest now, king. Yeah, yeah. Uh, priest king. And we also see a foreshadowing with the Passover meal or the Passover sacrifice mm-hmm. where you had to slaughter the lamb, put the blood of the lamb on the lentil um, so that when the angel of death sees it, it would pass over it. Uh, you had to eat the sacrifice, right? You had to consume the right, sacrifice. Yeah. Old Testament sacrifices always finished in consuming the sacrifice. Hmm. There was a meal that took place. Right. Um, and so you have the Passover lamb sacrificed, um, and then the blood is on the lentil, the doorpost, and then they eat. They have a family meal there. Right. Um, you also have in when once they get to Sinai, uh, Moses and the the leaders, they go up the, after the covenant is made, the Ten Commandments uh, right are spoken. So it's before he goes up and gets them written on stone. Mm-hmm. Um, before the uh or after they make this covenant at Sinai, Moses and the elders, they go up and they eat and mm-hmm. drink in the presence of God. Right. Right. So that's a foreshadowing there of the Eucharist as well. Um, you have the Todah sacrifice, the unbloody sacrifice of the temple consisting of bread and wine. Right. Mm-hmm. And Todah in the Hebrew is thanks. It's a thank offering. Right. Eucharist right. in the Greek, Eucharistesas is thanksgiving. Right. The Eucharist is our thanksgiving. Right. right. Um, it's also a custom. It was a custom for Davidic kings in the Old Testament to, uh, reward their, their, uh, people with a, a covenant meal, mm-hmm. a meal at the king's table. Right. So you right. take all this, all this foreshadowing, all this background in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. When we get to the New Testament, what do we see? Jesus is feeding everybody, right? right. You have the feeding of the 5,000, um, with, with the fishes and the loaves, right? And when he, when you have the multiplication of the loaves, you get this Eucharistic language. He took, he blessed, he mm-hmm. broke, he gave. These are all the same words in Greek that are used at the Last Supper, right? right? And so you see there's a clear Eucharistic uh, uh, intention here, mm-hmm. right? Um, you, you get the Eucharist in um, John 6, obviously, right? right? right, um, right. John doesn't have a... a um, 
uh, a Eucharistic narrative, right? Uh, Can you actually go over John 6 just a little bit? Just yeah. Because that's such an important um, scripture passage to understand the Eucharist. Can you just break it down yeah, briefly? So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, very briefly. Um, yeah. So in John 6, we see, right, uh, it, it begins with the multiplication of the loaves, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you have this Eucharistic language there. Then Jesus goes off to the other side of, of uh, the Sea of Galilee, Um and and then the people who are there at the feeding of the five thousand, they come and find him, and they say, you know, give us this food. We want more food. They're they're thinking on the material level, right? Mm-hmm. And Jesus says, right, uh, right. They say our, our father Moses, right? He gave us man in the wilderness. Mm-hmm. Um, and and Jesus says, right, it wasn't Moses. It was my father God, right? Right. And yeah. and they said, well, give us this bread. And uh, right, this. this Jesus says, the bread that I give, uh, you will live forever with it. Well, we want this bread. Give us this bread. And then Jesus says, I am the bread of heaven, mm-hmm. right? Who's come down from the Father. Um, and they keep asking him more for the spread, but they don't get it. So Jesus is leading them, um, gradually from this material notion to this spiritual notion that the bread that he's going to give is his flesh and blood, right? We could turn to the passage here, mm-hmm. right? As a good Catholic, we have our Bible here. Um, <laughs> so John six here. go so uh john 6 so uh we started verse uh 47 where jesus says truly truly i say to you he who believes has eternal life right faith is important i am the bread of life your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died this jesus himself this is the bread which comes down from heaven that a man Mm. may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, phago in the Greek, right, normal eating, he will live forever, and the bread which I shall give for the life of the world is my flesh, right? Mm -hmm. Then we have the hinge verse, verse 52, the Jews then disputed amongst themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat, and again, it's the normal word for eating there, Fago, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. He who eats, here it's trago, he changes the, the Greek word for hmm. eating, and this is the more graphic sense of gnawing or chewing right. upon, right? So, if you want to say Jesus is speaking metaphorically here, um, why is he becoming more graphic in his language, right? Mm-hmm. If you're metaphorical, you're not going to get very specific and graphic about it, right? right? Um, he, who eat, uh, he who eats my flesh, chews and gnaws on my flesh and drinks my blood, has eternal life, and I'll raise him up at the last day. Verse 55, for my flesh is true or real food, and my blood is true or real drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him as the living father sent me and I live because of the father. So he who eats or gnaws upon me will live because of me. Right. Jesus tells us that whoever eats his flesh will live because of him. Why? Because he is life itself. Mm -hmm. And he communicates that life to us when we partake of him in the Eucharist. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not such as the fathers ate and died. He who eats this bread will live forever. This he said in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. And then here we have many of his disciples when they heard it are thinking of Leviticus 17. This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? 
But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples murmured at it, said to them, do you take offense at this? Hmm. Right? Now, if he's speaking metaphorically and people are starting to leave, right, you'd expect him to, to kind of clarify. He, he, hmm. he doesn't want to lose his disciples, right? Right. Then what if I were to see, what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending where he was before? Right. Mm -hmm. He said this earlier to um, Nathaniel. Right. What if you were Mm -hmm. to see the Son of Man ascending and descending? Right. Our angels ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Mm -hmm. He said, look, I'm I'm God. Right. What if you were to see the Son of Man ascending where he was before? Well, Mm -hmm. where was he before? In heaven. Mm -hmm. So who's in heaven? Only God is. Right. Right. Um, At this point. Um. It is the spirit that gives life. The flesh is of no avail. Now, this is where Protestants will point to, right? The flesh is of no avail. Mm-hmm. Well, the flesh here in John's gospel is the world and sin, right? Mm-hmm. It's the fallen world. Of course, that flesh is of no avail. Mm-hmm. But Jesus isn't saying, right? Um, and, and, and they would say, the flesh is of no avail. So Jesus must be speaking metaphorically. He can't be talking about his flesh. Mm-hmm. Well, well, that goes against everything Jesus just said. My flesh is true food. He's not saying his flesh is of no avail, right. but the flesh, the world, the falling world is of no avail, right? Mm-hmm. The spirit gives life. It's the spirit that infuses, right, in, in the sacrament, the spirit. We call down upon this, uh, uh, call the Holy Spirit down upon these these gifts and these offerings, right? Mm-hmm. To, to vivify, to quicken it, right? Right. Um, the spirit gives life. The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and life, mm-hmm. right? But there are some of you that do not believe for Jesus knew from the first who it was that would betray him. And this is why he told them, no one can come to me unless it is granted by my father. Verse 66. After this, many of his disciples drew back and no longer walked with him and he lets them go away. Yeah. Because what he is saying is of the utmost importance. Mm-hmm. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. Right. Right. And so if you can't accept this, well, you can't accept me. Right. Right. So he lets him go and he turns to his apostles mm-hmm. and he says, will you go also? Right. And we've seen Peter's answer. Lord, to whom shall we go? Mm-hmm. You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Wow. Right. Yeah. So in Scripture, Jesus is quite clear. This is his flesh and blood. But that's not it. Right. We have more. We can turn to uh, the great passage in um, 1 Corinthians 10. Right, where we have St. Paul's teaching about the Eucharist, uh, about participation in the Eucharist. And what St. Paul does is he compares participation in the Eucharistic uh, uh, flesh and blood of Christ with participation in food offered to idols. Mm-hmm. Right, And he says here in 1 Corinthians 10, um, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 14, Therefore, my beloved, shun the worship of idols. I speak as to sensible men. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not a participation, a communio, right? Mm -hmm. A koinonia in the blood of Christ. The bread which we break, is it not a koinonia in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of one bread. Consider to the people of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices partners, right? Mm -hmm. Are they not participating in the altar? What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything or that an idol is nothing? No, I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. I do not want you to be partners with demons, mm-hmm. right? So what's the implication there? If you're offering food offered to idols who are not just nothing, they're demons, and you become, you enter into koinonia with these demons through doing that. Right. The, the parallel is if you partake of the, the cup, of, of, uh, a Christ, if the blood of Christ, if you partake of the body of Christ, you enter into this koinonia, this, this, uh, uh, this communion mm-hmm. with Christ. Well, if it's not, if it's just a symbol, then how's that taking place, right? right? We see John 6, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, or he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Right. Right. So what Paul is telling us here is is merely an exposition of what Jesus says in John 6, mm-hmm. right? And then, uh, right, so this is all prep for St. Paul moving into 1 Corinthians 11, where he talks about worthy reception of the Eucharist. Right. Well, if the Eucharist is just a symbol then why must we discern before we right, uh, right. Uh, partake of it? Right. right? Verse, uh, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 27. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of profaning mm. a symbol? No, the body and blood of the Lord. Wow. Yeah. So let a man examine himself and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment upon himself. Hmm. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. Right? So Paul is, is very serious about this. You're, right. you're not just going up again, a piece of bread, right? You're not right. getting grape juice. You're mm-hmm. getting the body and the blood of our Lord and savior. So make sure you discern the body, make sure you go up there, um, worthily, right? right. In the state of grace, right? Right. There's, in, in the Old Testament, um, if you didn't partake in the sacrifice in the proper way, right, you would die. We see right. this multiple times in the Old Testament. Right. Well, if you aren't partaking of this sacrifice, which is the body of Christ, offered on the altar. Right. Paul says some have died physically, mm-hmm. but you will die spiritually. Right. Right. And so Holy Mother Church, following Paul's example... When, when it comes to reception of the Eucharist, because of the seriousness of what it is, mm-hmm. we don't want people coming up who have not discerned themselves, whether they be Catholics or Protestants, right? right. So only those who are truly in koinonia, in this grace, the state yeah. of grace, who are, are living as sons of God, mm-hmm. right? Uh, the sacrament, St. Thomas says, is for the living. Right. Well, if you're in mortal sin, mm-hmm. you're dead, right? right. You're, 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 the life of God has been separated from you. Mm-hmm. You go to confession, come alive again, and then receive the sacrament, which is right. for the living. And it's out of love, too. I mean, yes. God wants us to have the graces that come with exactly. the Eucharist. And if we're you know, separating ourselves from him due to like mortal sin, mm. um, then we're not... Um, participating in that love of God. Exactly. We're not accepting the gift that he has given us on the altar. Um, I mean, confession is not a punishment. It's, it's a, oh, it's, it's a mercy. Yeah. It's, it's, oh, <laughs> it's a, thank, it's a beautiful, Lord for, yeah. It's, it's a beautiful mercy. St. Tertullian in, uh, this quote in the catechism of the Catholic church, St. Tertullian says that, um, 
penance, confession, reconciliation, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. is the second plank of salvation after the shipwreck, which is the loss of faith. Right. right. So what's our first plank of salvation? It's baptism, right? Washes away original sin. But after the shipwreck, which is the loss of faith, right? If we mm-hmm. fall after baptism, God has given us the second plank to pull, to, to, to grasp onto, right. right? And to get back in the ship, right? Get back into the bark of Peter. Right. Right. And live your life as a son and daughter of God. Right. Well, thank you for that. Um, now, I wanted to move on a little bit just because, um, first of all, we're talking to parents here. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of the, a lot, with FIDE, the new program we're doing, uh, which is actually not a program, it's actually a model. <laughs> um, it's directed towards helping parents become the primary educators of Great. their kids. Wonderful. Um, and part of that is sacramental preparation. Um, so how, what advice would you give the parents who are trying to teach their kids about the Eucharist? Um, also helping them prepare to receive first communion. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I would say compared to, right. So you have, um, the Eucharist is our spiritual food for the journey, right? Mm-hmm. Well, let's take a look at material foods, right? We need food to live. Food sustains us. Food and drink is what keeps us alive. Mm-hmm. Well, Jesus, in his wisdom, being God, right, um, he has given us, uh, right, he, he, is, he has made it so that the Eucharist, the matter of the Eucharist, is something that's common for all of us. Mm-hmm. Bread, well, wine for older people, right? right, you right, know, right, right. Um, for adults, wine is a staple, right? Especially if you go to Italy, what do you get on every table? Bread and wine. Even right? the kids. Mediterranean <laughs> cultures, yes. Even the kids <laughs> in Italy, yes. Um, so these these are common things, right? So we have these uh, universal staples, right? Bread and wine. And they nourish us and keep us alive. Mm-hmm. Well, we don't just have material life. We have spiritual life we need to keep alive too, right? right. And so Jesus has given us the spiritual food to keep alive, which is his body and his blood given to us in the Eucharist, mm-hmm. right? Which is under the veil of bread and wine. And so... um just as we have this material food, we also have the spiritual food. Right. Right. Just yeah. as we want to sustain our life materially, we need to sustain our life spiritually. Mm-hmm. Right. And how would you explain transubstantiation, like the real presence? Cause yes. That is something that, um, you know, kids receiving first communion need to understand it is not a, it's not just bread. Yeah. It's not wonder it's bread. Not just right? another, it's just not another piece of well, this food. Is where this, this is something that is. Yes. Jesus Christ. So this one, right, um, read the gospel to them, mm-hmm. right? Read the words of Jesus. Jesus is God, who is neither deceived nor is deceived, mm-hmm. um, who neither deceives nor is deceived. And he himself has told us this is his body. Mm-hmm. This is his blood, right? So we, do we believe Jesus is right. God? Yes. Do we trust God? Yes. Well, God has told us right. this is his body and this is his blood, right? Um, the solemnity within which uh, the mass is celebrated, mm-hmm. that there makes it known that this bread is no ordinary bread, mm-hmm. right? Um, whereas any bread you can get from the store, it's in your pantry, right? Put peanut butter on it, jelly, whatever. Right. Um, we don't do that with this bread. Right. Because this bread is no longer bread. This bread is the body of Christ, mm-hmm. right? Um and and the solemnity with which 
uh, within which it is celebrated and given to the people, that should separate, right? Kids see that, mm-hmm. right? My, my own kids see this, right? And then they see, okay, there's something different here, mm-hmm. right? Right. And, and we would only do this, right? We wouldn't do this for ordinary bread. Right. We wouldn't have all this elaborate rites surrounding, um, right? An ordinary, a symbol. Right. right. Uh, which is why, you know, not uh, uh, unrelated, which is why Protestants don't have most Protestants don't have this um, this ritual, this right that mm-hmm. accompanies it. Right. Right. You go, you hear a preacher preach and then they pass out um, right in little cups, right. um, the wafers and, and grape juice. Right? right. There's no solemnity mm-hmm. around it because they don't believe it's anything special. Right. It's just a symbol. Right. right. It symbolizes our communion. Right. Well, we don't believe that. We mm-hmm. believe it is truly what Christ says it is, his body and blood. And if it is, if this is God himself, right. then the solemnity that surrounds it needs to match the reality of what it is. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. yeah, and thank you for that. And just um, as Dr. Gar- Garland said, reading the scriptures with your kids, um, I would suggest going back to our first issue on prayer, where it has a section there on Lexio Divina. Um, I would um, focus on the scripture passages that uh, Dr. Dan Garland uh, emphasized today um, and maybe go over those with your kids in a slow, meditative way um, to help and point out to them, like, this is what Jesus is saying. This is my body and blood. Mm-hmm. Um, also, in the new issue uh, with uh, the Eucharist, there are some activities and things for kids to do to um, visualize and um, make real the um, the real presence of the Eucharist. Um, so I would just check those out uh, when, when those when that comes out. Um, I'm going to end with one more question. Um, one more point. Parents yeah. can model this too, right? When they receive the Eucharist, mm-hmm. the solemnity with which they themselves approach our right. Lord, right? Our our kids see that, and so if we are the model, if we are setting that example, if we as parents are there on our knees praying to our Lord at at liturgy at Mass, and we receive our Lord in a way that communicates the solemnity of what we're receiving right. right our kids will see that too right yeah yeah and um yeah uh, the reverence especially coming up as a parent your kids do what you do they whether you believe it or not your kids actually mimic you <laughs> um so sometimes i can i can be scary right? <laughs> yeah exactly it's scary <laughs> yeah um my wife <laughs> funny story going to a funny story right now um the other day my, my daughter is a little over a year and a half and um my wife said, dang it, because she dropped something. Uh-huh. And now my, my daughter goes around the house saying, dang it, every time she drops something. <laughs> so, you know, just be careful what you say around your kids. But it shows that your kids do mimic what you do. So if you go up to the Eucharist with reverence, they are going to mimic that reverence. Um, and then one final question I wanted to ask you uh, is in regards to, um, and this is a hard topic because a lot of families, um, to know follow the fall of their own, um, a lot of it's the culture. Um, end up having teenagers who leave the faith Mm -hmm. right um so how well first what advice would you give to those parents who have had uh their children uh leave the faith but also what would you give advice to parents whose children are becoming teenagers who are going to embark and like have more independence now how do you what advice would you give them to help keep their kids part of the faith but also understand the presence of the eucharist yeah um well i would say 
if 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 your children have fallen away, don't give up hope. Uh-huh. Keep praying for them, mm-hmm. right? Keep praying. Uh, the mother's prayer is is so effective, mm-hmm. right? Look at Saint Monica for Saint Augustine. Right. All those years that she prayed, uh, so never stop praying for your kids. Um, and and that's the second thing is how your kids are becoming teenagers. You're worried about them falling away. Pray, pray as a family, mm-hmm. right? Find time, right after dinner or in the morning, whenever you can. Bring everybody together and pray. Mm-hmm. Now, maybe your teenager, if you haven't done this consistently, if you're just starting this out, maybe your teenager is not going to be a full participant. Mm-hmm. It's all right. You or their parents make them be there. Mm-hmm. They don't have to participate. They don't have to speak. Have them sit there. Mm-hmm. And then, and then over time, eventually they're going to start participating, right. right? Especially if there's other siblings, younger siblings who are participating, uh, they're going to do it, right? Mm-hmm. And if they see you praying as a family, right? They see what's important in this family. Right. Prayer is important. Our relationship to God is important. Mm-hmm. Um, they're going to see that and eventually they're going to come in and they're going to join. And, and that's one of the, right? Before they get to teenagers. This is something that every family should be doing, right? right. Should be praying together so that it, it becomes second nature, right. right? And you see what is important in your family, right? Um, football game's on, okay? Well, turn it off. It's prayer time, right? Right. When we're done praying, then we'll go back to the football game, right? right? You have to establish what is important in your family. And when you do that, then when your kids leave, they'll know, they'll go into the world and they'll know what is important too, right? right. Uh, going to Mass on Sunday, receiving our Lord mm-hmm. in the Eucharist, if this is a priority, mm-hmm. right, and you establish this as a family, Right. And, and your kids, as they're growing up, when they leave the house, they will know this is a priority and it's something for them to continue doing on their own outside of the right when they when they move out. Right. Yeah. And I mean, I one of the things that always stuck with me when I was growing up that made it so um, important was, you know, I was involved in sports. Mm-hmm. Um, I was involved um, in a lot of traveling. My parents traveled a lot um, on the road just for a vacation. I mean, nothing. We went camping a lot. Um, but even in those times, we made time for mass. Yeah. Like, like we always scheduled it around Sunday mass. Like, okay, no, we're not going to sport on Sunday because it's mass. Like, mm-hmm. you're going to mass. Yeah. First or on vacation, you know, we're gonna go find a church nearby where we're going. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's possible, yeah. obviously, God's in call the impossible. But um, if you're on vacation, you should schedule your vacation around mass mm-hmm. on Sunday. Exactly. Um, so. These are important things that help your kids recognize this is something important. Mm. This is the source and summit of their life. <laughs> this is the, yeah. the most important thing. Right. Yes. Right. Um, so, yeah. So just uh, try to make it a priority. Um, I think that's the ma- best thing you can do as a parent is make the uh, make Sunday uh, mass um, a priority. Um, and going to confession frequently to, to recognize that that's important, too, mm. um, so that when... Uh, your kids get to that age where they can uh, start receiving confession. They know it's something that's part of the routine. Um, but yeah, well, thank you so much for coming on and uh, talking to us about the Eucharist. It's very informative. Um, I forgot to mention, we have a new studio, as you can see. Uh, we have a, a, a nice rooster. <laughs> that is our mascot for our studio. Um, we're hoping to that this will help um, our ministry and helping uh, get things out to you in a more uh, in a better quality um and make it more um accessible 
uh, for you so that we can help uh, our whole parish come to know the faith more. Uh, well, thank you, Dr. Garland. Um, and it's been a pleasure having you. Um, next time we will be, uh, so next month, it's actually going to be on the two vocation sacraments, uh, which is um, holy orders and matrimony. Uh, so we'll be discussing that. We'll have another guest on. I do not know who that is yet, but I will let you know. Um, but thank you all for coming on. Uh, any last words you want to say? Keep praying. Indeed. All right. Thank you. God bless. Have a, God bless.